This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 359. Hey, big thanks to the Drury Hotels for sponsoring the podcast. They've been our longest podcast sponsor. Way back in our first year, they reached out. They've got locations in about 35 states here in the U.S., and you can actually get a discount on your stay if you use our special link on our website. Head over and look for the Drury link in the sidebar of our website, and you can save 15% on your stay. And thanks again to the Drury Hotels. This podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. And right now, Athletic Greens is offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA, athleticgreens.com slash MTA, and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower you to go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we look back at the Olympic marathon results and other inspiring moments from Tokyo. And in the quick tips segment, we feature a question sent in from a listener about anabolic diets for runners. Lots of good stuff. And don't forget, as an Academy member, you have access to all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, courses, and more. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, so we are excited to talk about the Olympics. We spent a lot of time watching it here at our house. I think the TV was on like all day, at least on mute. Then at night, when a lot of the track and field events were featured, it was fun to sit together and uh, watch TV. We don't do that a whole lot. But yeah, it was definitely exciting to watch, especially the marathon. That's right. Before we start talking about the Olympics, I would like to make some shout outs. We love hearing from people and what they're accomplishing out there. This note comes from Peter. He says, yesterday was the main senior games track and field events. And in the morning I competed in the 1500 meter speed walking event. I placed fifth overall in a field of 15 walkers ages 45 to 80. And I set the main record for the 80 to 84 year olds with a time of 11 minutes and four seconds. Then after lunch, I did the 1500 meter race walk and set a new record for my age group, beating the old record by three seconds. You all be safe and keep on trucking. Well, that is really cool to hear. Um, He's competing in the 80 to 84-year-old category in race walking, just staying fit and uh, enjoying life and keeping moving. That's great. And this comes from Yoshiko. She says, I finally got to a thousand miles. My shoes have done a good job of carrying me daily. My gratitude goes to Angie and Trevor and to all my wonderful friends from the group for the great motivation and very precious encouragement. All right. That's awesome. Congrats on reaching 1,000 miles for the year. This comes from Marley. She says, today I did a full virtual marathon for the social distance run two. It's been over two years when I ran my last marathon with a time of five hours and two minutes. Today, my time was four hours, 39 minutes and 46 seconds, five minutes faster than my target. Thanks to MTA coach Lynn for all the training and support and to Angie and Trevor for your resources and challenges. This group is awesome. Thanks for the note, Marley. Congrats on running five minutes faster than your target time. And uh, it's great to have you as a client. Of course, you mentioned Coach Lynn. Coach Lynn is one of the awesome running coaches on our team. So glad to hear things have been working well. That's right. We'd like to give a shout out to Alexandra. She finished her first ultra marathon, finishing fourth overall female at the Spartan Asheville Trail 50K. And she says that she had to walk the last 11 miles because she got blisters, but was very happy to finish and did awesome. 
Yeah, congrats, Alexandra, on running your first 50K. Thanks for sharing your journey. She's kind of become a, a mini celebrity in our group. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's great to have you in the group. Well, we're going to get going on our Olympic running recap. We're going to look at the marathon event. We're going to look at other cool stories from the Olympics. Plus, we got a uh, really good listener question about nutrition that we're going to feature at the end. So all kinds of good stuff. Let's get started. The Tokyo Olympics are officially in the books. Like Trevor said, we did a lot of watching of various events, and it's so fun just to learn about everything that goes on in the sports and just the incredible athletes who have worked so hard to get there. Um, The motto for the Tokyo Games was united by emotion, which I didn't know until I was doing a little research. And a total of 205 countries participated in this Olympics, plus the EOR, what's known as the Refugee Olympic Team. So the refugee team had 29 competitors in 12 sports, and it's made up of athletes that originate from 11 nations, but they reside and train in 13 host nations. And they're supported by the International Olympic Committee's Olympic Scholarship for Refugee Athletes. So just a really cool thing. But overall, between all the countries, there were 11,090 athletes in 41 different sports and 339 events. Yeah, every year I watch, I learn about a new event. (laughs) That's right. So new sports for this year's Olympics included three-on-three basketball, freestyle BMX. They did some mixed-gender teams of existing sports like swimming and running relays. And they had the return of Madison Cycling for Men and the first ever Madison Cycling for Women. So it's basically like a cycling race where it's on an indoor track. I'm not sure of all the rules. I didn't do a deep dive into it, but they go really super fast. And there is some sort of system where they are on the inside of the track and certain sprints they have to do and everything. One thing I didn't know before researching this is that new International Olympic Committee policies allow the host committee, so Tokyo this year, to add new sports for one games. So the Japanese organizing committee added baseball and softball, karate, sport climbing, surfing, and skateboarding to the games this year. Yeah, that's a good move. I watched a lot of those, actually. The surfing and skateboarding was especially fun. Surfing because I tried surfing this summer in Costa Rica, and I know how hard it is. That's right. And the skateboarding, of course, is just so entertaining. Although, man, you see these these kids like jumping down 12 steps, a flight of 12 steps and just hitting the concrete over and over and over. It's like, man, I would have so many broken bones. Yeah, I believe the youngest competitors at the Olympic Games, age 13, were competing in the skateboarding. Well, now that you mentioned Angie, I actually had a couple of little factoids about that. The youngest medalist, Kokona Hiraki of Japan, age 12. Wow. Who won a silver medal in women's park skateboarding. Also, Sky Brown, age 13, of Great Britain, won bronze in the same event. The oldest medalist was Andrew Hoy of Australia, age 62. He won silver as part of the equestrian eventing team, and he won bronze in the individual jumping final. And this was his eighth Olympics. Wow. Can you imagine (laughs) being at the top of your sport for that many years and Olympics? So, of course, our favorite event, we're going to talk about the marathon. 
But really quick before we do, there are some inspiring stories that we wanted to highlight. Probably some of these you've heard. For example, the Dutch runner, Stefan Hassan, was running the 1500 meter preliminary race 1500 meter that's almost four times around the track of course we talked about all the track distances in our previous episodes so go check that out if you want to learn about how the track and field events work but anyway Safan tripped hit the ground she went down hard kind of like rolled and it happens because a lot of times like runners are kind of bunched up you know the 1500 meters everyone starts on the line and then they can kind of converge into one lane the inside lane so that people get really close to each other so she tripped but she got up and she just hammered and she went from dead last and in 62 seconds she went to first and won the preliminary it was an amazing comeback she went to the finals and she ended up winning bronze and also won two gold medals in the 5000 meter and the 10000 meter so she did triple distances which is incredible because you have to run a preliminary to even qualify for the final heats so she had to do six races And she came away with three medals, which is super impressive. Here's a historic moment. Allison Felix became the most decorated U.S. track and field athlete. She's competed in five Olympics, going all the way back, starting when she was 18 years old. And uh, after winning gold in this year's 4x4 relay, she now has 11 Olympic medals. Seven are gold, three are silver, one is bronze. And uh, she broke the record of Carl Lewis for the most decorated American track athlete in Olympic history. And I think she's going to retire. So this this was her last Olympics. It was really cool because it was one of the stories they kind of featured, at least in the broadcasting here in the United States, how she has come back after the birth of her daughter and how a lot of people didn't think that she had it in her to, you know, win at the Olympics again. And she definitely proved them wrong and just set a great example for people everywhere. Here's something else that was cool. A swimmer from Tunisia, Ahmad Hafnawi, barely qualified for the 400 meter freestyle final. He had the slowest time of all the eight finalists, but he actually ended up winning the final from lane eight. He uh, out-touched every swimmer and won gold and uh, like no one saw it coming. It was awesome. Yeah, I love watching swimming. Here's something else that was cool that I saw in the news. There were two siblings from Japan who both compete in judo and they won gold just nine minutes apart. So this is the first brother-sister duo in Olympic history to win gold medals in individual sports on the same day. Family's off to a good start. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but they're very competitive with each other. So now we want to talk about our favorite event, and that is the marathon. We're going to jump into talking about the women's marathon since it happened first. So exciting, especially for us here in the U.S. because Molly Seidel. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Molly Seidel. So we mentioned in the last episode when we were talking about the various um, running events that the marathons were both moved 500 miles north of Tokyo to Sapporo, Japan, to try and mitigate some of the heat and humidity. Well, it was a good effort, but unfortunately, it was still extremely hot and humid for the women's marathon. Um, It took place on August 7th, and they had to move the race an hour earlier because it was just going to be blazingly hot that day. So it started at 6 a.m. The sun was already in full force when the women began running and humidity levels made for a really challenging race because temperatures reached 32 degrees Celsius, or that's 90 degrees Fahrenheit with 82% humidity. 
Yeah, the humidity is what's so dangerous because it doesn't allow your sweat to evaporate. That's right. And we mentioned in the last episode that the marathon course itself was a pinwheel type course. It was designed that they did roughly a half marathon length loop. And then they repeated half of the loop, which was about 10K, two times. And so this was to kind of allow maximum use of aid stations and various things that were built in uh, to try and mitigate some of the heat. The women's field consisted of 88 runners, and the pace started out conservatively. I think everyone was realizing that it was going to be a tough race. They had extra preventative measures that were set up to help mitigate the heat, including ice baths at the first aid and recovery areas, and they had 14 water supply tables, including nine of them with bags of ice. And throughout the race, you would see runners pouring water on themselves, placing ice in various points of their jerseys and necks and heads, um, any way to stay cool. By mile two, there were already women succumbing to the heat, getting things like heat-related cramps. By mile nine, the lead pack had dwindled to 18 runners, and by 10 and a half miles, it was down to 11. Um, That pack of 11 reached the halfway point in one hour, 15 minutes, and 14 seconds. At about 30K, there were nine runners in the lead pack, including Molly Seidel of the U.S., runners were trying to find any patches of shade they could find along the course, because commentators were saying that the temperature on the tarmac was above 100 degrees. So it's like the heat gets down to that black top and it just kind of radiates up. And so it creates these extremely hot conditions. In fact, Ruth Chepnagedich of Kenya, who has run marathons in brutally hot temps before, fell away and began walking shortly after that 30K point. By mile 20, the pack was down to seven before dwindling to five women and then four. At mile 23, Perez Jeptrichir and Bridget Kosge started to pull away, and Lorna Saltpeter of Israel could not hold on. We had kind of talked about her a little bit in the last episode as she was someone to watch. Jeptrichir stayed strong to the finish, even when Kosge started to struggle, and when she broke the tape, she bent over and seemed to pray, probably out of relief and gratitude. So we watched most of it over here. Thankfully, it was streamed on USA Network. Angie's sister, Autumn, who's also a runner and is training for a marathon right now, came over and we watched it together. And <laughs> it's like, um, this feels hard. And I'm just sitting here on the couch watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you feel nervous um, for the runners. And if you've run a marathon before, you know how tough it is. And that kind of heat is just brutal. And plus just the paces and that kind of competition is, you know, totally mind-blowing. Big shout out to Kara Goucher, who is doing the color commentary for the event. She's, of course, a retired elite runner. She did a great job just calling the race and just really putting us in the mind of the athlete. I agree. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. I know a lot of people are probably thinking, non-runners are thinking, how can it be interesting to watch people run for over two hours? In fact, our kids were like, well, this is boring. You know, we're like... <laughs> be quiet, go to a different room. We're trying to hear the commentary because yeah, it kept you right there in the moment, you know, tidbits from the runners lives and what they were noticing out there. And of course, Kara's vast experience as a marathoner competing at a high level. So it was fantastic. So the gold medal went to Perez Jeptrichir, age 27 of Kenya. She finished in two hours, 27 minutes and 20 seconds. She's actually the world record holder in the half marathon. Silver medal went to Bridget Kosge of 
Kenya also, she's age 27. And her finishing time was two hours, 27 minutes and 36 seconds. She is the world record holder in the marathon currently. And the bronze medal went to Molly Seidel of the US, age 27. All these ladies were 27. It must be the magical age. Um, This was her third marathon, and she finished in two hours, 27 minutes, and 46 seconds. She became the third American woman to win an Olympic medal. The first Olympic women's marathon was won by Joan Benoit Samuelson in 1984. She came away with gold, and 2004, Dina Castor won the bronze medal. So very, very exciting to add another medal for the U.S. women's marathon. Yeah, of course, we're sitting on the couch and we know how amazing these Kenyan runners are and just how hard it is to uh, to hang with them. So we're watching Molly Seidel and Kara Goucher, who's doing the commentary, kept reiterating just how inexperienced Molly Seidel is. This was only her third marathon, yet she's running with such wisdom and experience beyond her, her age, I guess. And uh, maybe you'll talk about this, Angie, but I think Molly Seidel just runs with passion and just wants to have fun. And uh, maybe that's the secret sauce. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, You could see her begin to pump her fists, point to the USA on her jersey and scream as she neared the finish line. So, you know, very, very exciting moment. Um, Even though the heat index resulted in being the second slowest women's Olympic marathon in history. But like Kara Goucher was pointing out that when conditions are super tough, it actually kind of levels the playing field because there are unknown or less experienced runners who, if they run a smart race and prepared well, can just kind of step it up. And I think that was Molly's philosophy that she was just going to go in there and give it her all and see what happened. She's got a great sense of humor, too, when she got to the finish line, and they they had her family piped in via live stream, and uh, they showed, you know, the interaction as she's looking at her family back in Wisconsin, and she's so tired and uh, so hot, but she says, drink a beer for me. (laughs) (laughs) That endeared her to you right away. That really did. really did. (laughs) I'm good. I'm so tired. (laughs) Please, please drink a beer for me. Here's something funny that Molly Seidel posted like the day before the marathon. She is looking up how much water to drink during a marathon in the hot weather. And uh, here's what she says. For everyone who assumes pro runners have it together, here is an actual article I looked up the day before the marathon trying to figure out my hydration strategy. Super prepared over here. (laughs) I like how she keeps it real. Just like all of us are just Googling stuff to get our questions answered. Googling our way through life. (laughs) The pros do it too. So out of the field of 88, 15 women ended up not finishing, DNF'd, including Alephine Tuliamuk of the USA, who had won the U.S. Olympic trials and went on to have a baby in January, but she was dealing with some severe hip pain and couldn't continue. But I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about a little bit more about some of the medalists. Uh, the gold medalist, Perez Jeptrutir of Kenya, of course. She's married, had a daughter, born in 2017. And on the Olympic website, they kind of have bios with quotes from different runners. She ran to school in Kenya during her childhood and started competing in primary school and taking the sport seriously at age 13. Her brother encouraged her to compete. He said, you are capable as a runner. He motivated me. 
A silver medalist, Bridget Cosge, is 27, like I said earlier, and she set the marathon world record in Chicago in 2019. That stands at two hours, 14 minutes, and four seconds. She is married with twin children. She began competing in middle distance events in school, and the Olympic website says, quote, my school was 10 kilometers from home, and sometimes to avoid being late, I would run. On my way, I met athletes who were training, and I said to myself, I can be like them. She also said, I want to be the second Kipchoge, the Kipchoge for women. I focus on that. I think 210 is possible for a lady. I am focused on reducing my time. Bronze medalist Molly Seidel is from Wisconsin but resides in Boston. Before the Olympic trials where she ran her first marathon, she worked two jobs, one as a barista and another as a babysitter. And in 2020, she spoke about the difficulties she faced with mental health issues and an eating disorder while in college. She says, quote, I think the collegiate structure of running is great, but in a lot of ways is super harmful and not necessarily the most positive environment for girls, especially as they're coming into their bodies as women. I wasn't eating the amount I needed to fuel the training. And once you get to the edge of that cliff and go off, it's a long way back. So because of the eating disorder that she dealt with, she suffered several injuries that set her back. And she entered treatment for her eating disorder. And due to the encouragement of her sister, Isabel, she continued pursuing her running goals, which, of course, obviously has paid off in a big way for her. Now, of course, I think each and every Olympic marathoner has an amazing story and works so hard to be there. And I'm always impressed by the Masters runners who continue to compete at a high level. And I thought I would just include some of those women who are Masters runners Uh, Melindy Elmore of Canada is age 41. She finished ninth in two hours, 30 minutes and 59 seconds. She was also at the 2004 Olympics competing in the 1500 meters. She's a mother of two and a business owner and also competes in triathlon at the international level. In 10th place was Sinead Diver of Australia. She was actually born in Ireland and then went on a work visa to Australia. She is age 44, and she finished in 2 hours, 31 minutes, and 14 seconds. Amazingly, she started running in 2010 at age 33 after entering a fun run event with her sister. That's awesome. (laughs) Apparently, she did well, and she then joined a local athletics club running the 10,000-meter and half marathon at the state level before moving up to the marathon after the birth of her second son. And she says, quote, without hesitation, I can say I've learned something new from every marathon. It's a race like no other. It's as much a mental game as physical, and you must give it everything to succeed. Even then, there are no guarantees. You can be the fittest you've ever been, but there are so many factors that impact the outcome. Often your finishing time doesn't reflect this. That's why I both love and hate the marathon. The elation that you feel when it all comes together after months of preparation is magical. But if it doesn't go to plan, it can be devastating. And she also says, quote, I find it extremely frustrating that a lot of the media attention I get is mainly focused on my age. In the coverage of the London Marathon 2019, I was referred to as the (laughs) (laughs) 42-year-old. People are always trying to put a limit on what I can do. It really frustrates me. My age isn't impacting me, and it just annoys me how people focus on that. There is nothing to suggest that when you turn 40, you need to fall apart. Succeeding at any age is all about your mindset. Well, that's good to hear having turned 41 a couple months ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But that is remarkable that she didn't even start running until she was 33. And now she's made two Olympics. It goes to show that no humans limited, right? Yeah, we've heard that somewhere before. And I thought it was really cool that just several of the women in the top 15 were 
age 39 and over. 11th place was Halalia Johannes of Namibia. She's age 40. She finished in two hours, 31 minutes and 22 seconds. And this was her fourth Olympic Games. 13th place was Natasha Wodak of Canada, age 39, with a time of 2 hours, 31 minutes, and 41 seconds. This was her second Olympic marathon. Um, and this was kind of a funny one that I was looking at. 14th place was Carolina Nadolska of Poland. She finished in 2 hours and 32 minutes. She's 39 years old, and this was her second Olympic Games. And she has a really complicated relationship with running. I thought it was a really interesting perspective for someone who's gotten to such a high level. She says, quote, It's not a form of physical activity that I love. There are many moments when I think, I hate it. I feel bad. It's so hard for me. Why am I so tired? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, well, that's super relatable because I think at some point, you felt that yeah it really resonates but yeah good stuff we want to talk about the men's marathon next and of course elliot kipchoge who continues to dominate and inspire before we do that big thanks to athletic greens we just love this company athletic greens i've said before is like drinking pure health it's a green drink with all the vitamins and nutrients whole food source ingredients that actually taste good and i don't know about you angie but when i drink it's like instantaneous feeling of vitality and energy they say to take it on empty stomach so you know it hits the blood faster yeah it's the first thing that i eat in the morning and i just feel like it gives me such a great start to the day and in fact it's done so much for us we brag about it all the time that several family members are now taking it regularly it's one of those things that we can recommend without hesitation And of course, we know that supporting our immune systems is so important. They're offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and the five free travel packs. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. All right, so let's talk about the men's marathon, which took place the day after the women's marathon, which was August 8th in Japan, August 7th here in the U.S. That's right. It was held on the same course, and it started at 7 a.m. They didn't experience quite the heat that the women's race had. There was some more cloud cover and slightly cool temperatures. It got up to about 29 degrees Celsius or 84 degrees Fahrenheit, which is still not ideal running weather, but not as high as the day before. The men's field had 106 runners, and the lead pack started at a conservative pace and pretty much held together for the first 10K. It was just a big, massive group for that first 10K. In fact, getting to the aid stations with the water, a lot of people who were kind of to the side, the other side of the aid station, had trouble moving over. And so you would see sometimes runners passing water bottles or ice around, taking a couple so they could share it with their teammates. At about 18 kilometers, Kipchoge was tucked in near the front of the pack, looking like his calm, cool, collected self. He's just kind of like the zen of running. He is so smooth. His running form is poetry in motion. And Angie mentioned zen. That's definitely what Kara Goucher and the other commentators were saying. The tranquility on his face the whole time. You never see any flashes of like pain go across like you'll see like literally every other human being that runs a marathon. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's otherworldly almost. Yeah. And it kind of seemed like the goal of a lot of the marathoners out there were just to tuck in near Kipchoge and just stay with him as much of the race as they could. Like that one guy who got a fist bump? Yeah, around 18 kilometers. Um, Kipchoge pointed out the painted green line on the course for Brazilian runner Daniel do Nascimento. And the two kind of smiled and the Brazilian runner held out his fist and got a fist bump from Kipchoge. And you could just see that it just lit up his whole face. 
Sadly, not too much later, that runner was seen collapsing twice on the course Mm. and later had to pull out. So the heat got to him. You know, he was running a pretty gutsy race in the front there. So the magic fist bump didn't do him any good. Unfortunately not, no. So the lead pack of around 50 men started falling away and was down to about 24 at the halfway point. And they passed the halfway point in an hour and five minutes and three seconds. At 28 kilometers, Kipchoge took a slight lead, and many in that lead pack kind of started to struggle to hold the pace. You could see, unlike Kipchoge, their faces were showing strain, Mm -hmm. and they were working really hard. Around mile 20, um, there was a little bit of an interaction between Galen Rupp and Kipchoge. Galen Rupp had kind of tucked in right behind Kipchoge for the whole race. He's, of course, the U.S. runner that... We were hoping would um, do well. He actually got bronze in uh, in Rio at the last Olympics. Yeah, and so it was kind of people were debating whether Rupp had gotten too close to Kipchoge or if Kipchoge got tired of him just being so close behind him without taking a turn leading the pack. Um, whatever happened, there was kind of this little interaction and Kipchoge just kind of started surging ahead. And so then the pack was kind of down to 10 men and they kind of even started to fall away. And I think about that time Kipchoge ran the fastest 5K split of the entire race. He would just put it in another gear and was like, see ya, everyone. Yeah, it was really interesting trying to figure out what was going on in that moment. From what I've heard, Kipchoge was probably just tired of Rupp uh, running so close to him and was like, hey, you want to take the lead? Go. Maybe he knew this guy is just drafting off me and maybe he was just tired of, you know, pushing the pace and being in the front of the group. But it reminded me that Meb Kofleski and Galen Rupp had the same kind of interaction during the Olympic trials. I think this was in the run up to Rio uh, where Meb got angry with Galen and said, this is not a track. You have the whole road because I think Galen was running really close to Meb. So maybe it's just a thing he does. <laughs> maybe. Anyway, it was like the only time that Kipchoge kind of broke his zen, you know, was to have this interaction. Kipchoge could be seen smiling at various points during the race. And he later said, that smile is the happiness. They say to enjoy this world is to be happy. While you are happy, it helps you relax and enjoy the race. I love it. But I was also wondering if he got into Galen's head. Like, Who knows what, what tiny thought can, you know, trip up your mental game when you're out there dealing with such an effort and so much heat. Because right after that, Galen kind of fell back. I guess he didn't have a good day, but um, maybe getting waved off by the, you know, the greatest marathoner in history. (laughs) If the goat tells you to go away, then you go away, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, so it was pretty much set in stone. You could tell from that point where Kipchoge kind of kicked away that he was going to defend his gold medal in a commanding style. Um, And he finished in two hours, eight minutes and 38 seconds. He's only the third man to defend his gold in history. So very commanding performance. The other two medals, um, silver went to Abdi Nagai, age 32 of the Netherlands. He finished in two hours, nine minutes and 58 seconds. This was the first Olympic medal in the marathon for the Netherlands. Um, Apparently, this was Nagai's second Olympic Games. He finished 11th in the marathon in 2016. And then the bronze medal went to Bashir Abdi, age 32, of Belgium. He finished in two hours, 10 minutes flat. He narrowly outkicked Kenyan Lawrence Chirono. And this was Bashir Abdi's second Olympics as well. He competed in the 5,000 meters and 10,000 meters in 2016. And we'll kind of talk about a little bit more about that um, struggle for second and third place because it was really interesting. 
Um, but Elliot won the gold by the biggest margin, one minute and 20 seconds since Frank Shorter won the 1972 Olympic marathon. So kind of in the final one kilometer after Elliot Kipchoge won, there was a four-way race for silver and bronze. In about the final 200 meters, Abdi Nagai of the Netherlands urged his struggling training partner, Bashir Abdi of Belgium, to pass the Kenyan Lawrence Toronto. So the two guys that got silver and bronze trained together, and you could see Abdi Nagai kind of like motioning and talking to his training partner, his friend, Nagai said, in the last 800 meters, I wanted to go, but I thought about Bashir and I was like, let him come close. So I was trying to help him and he had a cramp. And then I still waited for him. And when he came next to me, I thought, okay, now I want to make sure. And then I sprinted away and was just looking around. Actually, it was dangerous to look so many times. Um, You could see him like looking to the side several times. Um, Third place, Bashir had been dealing with a cramping hamstring during the last three kilometers. And he said, Abdi said, you must go. If he was not there today, it would have been very difficult last three kilometers. In training, one of us is always a little better than the other one in different training sessions. We encourage each other. It's what teammates do. I'm really happy he finished in second place, and I'm really happy with the bronze. And both men left war-torn Somalia when they were young. So very interesting backstories. Yeah, it was a really cool moment. Like picture a friend, like almost reaching back, grabbing you by the hand, helping you across. Just the way that the Dutch athlete kept looking back, you know, motioning for his buddy. Let's go. You got this. You got this. We can do it. Hammer. (laughs) I've done that in marathons before. And when you get near the finish line of a marathon and people are just really moaning and groaning, but maybe you ran a good race and uh, you've got enough energy to encourage your fellow runners at the end. That's such a great feeling. Yes, that's right. Um, the bronze medalist Bashir Abdi said this about moving to Belgium at age 13. He says, quote, it's thanks to my mother that I came to Belgium since she was a political refugee. Running on my own and forgetting about everything that I've gone through gave me so much fulfillment. And his mother died in 2011. And he said this, quote, she called us together on the final day of her life and said, this country has meant so much to all of you. Be good people. She was the one who always supported me being an athlete while the rest of the family felt it was a waste of time. Wow. (laughs) So I'm sure that he was dedicating that medal to his mother. And then I'd mentioned the Olympic refugee team earlier. 16th place was Tachlwani Gavriosos. I'm sure I pronounced that really poorly. He was age 23, and he finished in 2 hours, 14 minutes, and 2 seconds. He is originally from Eritrea, currently residing in Israel, having arrived there unaccompanied as a minor. And he said after the race, I want to show others that everything is possible and they shouldn't give up. Of course, we mentioned Galen Rupp um, and kind of some of the interactions during the marathon. He finished in eighth place with a time of two hours, 11 minutes, and 41 seconds. The other U.S. athlete was Jake Riley, age 32. He finished in 29th place in two hours, 16 minutes, and 26 seconds. And Abdi Abdirahman of the U.S. was 41st in two hours, 18 minutes, and 27 seconds. Abdirahman is age 44, and he was competing in his fifth Olympic Games and was the oldest competitor in the marathon. Um, Overall, 30 of the 106 men did not finish due to various reasons. Most of them heat-related. There was a lot of people cramping and falling, and I'm sure the aid crews were very, very busy. Yeah, actually, they they showed that some of the people who were staggering, sitting on the curb, falling over. It's rough. Yeah, it was it was super rough. And of course, the man of the hour, 
Elliot Kipchoge is age 36. He holds the official world record in the marathon of two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. You may remember that he took part in the attempt, two attempts, to break two hours in the marathon, and he's the only man to finish sub-two hours in controlled conditions. His time was one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds back in 2019. And this was Kipchoge's fourth Olympic Games. He won gold in Rio in the marathon in 2016. And he took second in the 5,000 meters back in 2008 and third in the 5,000 meters in 2004. So he did not always do the marathon. Um, Kipchoge is married with three children and his nickname is the Philosopher. (laughs) We mentioned when he runs, his face usually has this placid, like zen-like expression on it. And it barely looks like he's working hard despite carrying on at a blistering pace. So, you know, you know, he is working hard, but he just has this amazing way of staying calm and his feet just popping off the ground, even in the last two kilometers of the marathon. He began running as a boy in Kenya, covering five to six kilometers a day to attend school. And he wanted to run professionally to fund his education and get a degree in human resource management. And Kipchoge currently runs between 200 to 230 kilometers per week. That is 124 to 143 miles. And he keeps a notebook for every year he has spent as a runner on the international stage. In it, he records every training session and includes notes from various books that he reads. He says, quote, when you write, then you remember. And his philosophy is, quote, athletics is not so much about the legs. It's about the heart and mind. And he's also said, every day is a challenge. You're always faced with a new one. And when I've achieved something, I look forward to the next goal. That's my way of thinking, my character. It's how I work. After I retire, my plan is to concentrate on inspiring people. My dream is to make this world a running world. A running world is a healthy, peaceful world. A running world is a joyful world. (laughs) Love it. He's also famous for saying no human is limited. That was kind of the theme of the attempt to break two hours in the marathon. So maybe he's like a a once in a lifetime athlete to come along. We're pretty lucky to be witnessing this. Yeah, that's right. And kind of just becoming the worldwide ambassador for running. Yeah, I was also reading another article um, just kind of talking about like what a class act Elliot Kipchoge is. And he was apparently congratulating and greeting his fellow runners as they crossed the marathon finish line and actually handing out bottles of water as well. And you know, there's been a kind of a lot of memes about how people are just laying around destroyed and he's like bouncing around, handing out water. Like, did these people even run the same race that he ran? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of like, he just really loves his job. <laughs> he loves the sport. He wants to inspire people. And that's great. I don't know how hard it is for pro runners to keep that passion for it because it's so hard and there's so much training and dedication. You got to be so disciplined with your food, with your sleep, with your workouts, with your build up and taper and all that. And man, if you don't really love it, it's got to be just a grind, wouldn't you think? Yeah. And I think it also shows just how his fitness level had come together perfectly for the marathon. That kind of effort in those crazy conditions you know, I mean, it was challenging for him, I'm sure, and painful mm-hmm. at times, but he still had plenty in the tank when he finished. And, you know, I think any of us who have been running for any length of time have had those races where we finished a race, we felt great. Ready to party. <laughs> bouncing around, feeling great, ready to sign up for the next race. And then we've also had the contrast of 
being that person laying on the ground, feeling like they're going to die, wondering why we chose this for our hobby. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But it's all about reaching within yourself to push beyond your limitations because most of our limitations are self-imposed and we're capable of more than we think. We can run further than we think. We can endure more pain than we think. You will surprise yourself at what you're capable of doing. And that's the cool thing about our sport is that we have people of all ages and all abilities jumping in and becoming better versions of themselves. So we just thought we would park on that point for a minute that uh, no human is limited. Angie, you probably never imagined that you would uh, run 60 plus marathons for fun. (laughs) I don't even think I knew anything about marathons until I was in my 20s. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right, so now it's time for this episode's quick tip, and we got a bunch of great nutrition questions sent in from listeners, and we're going to be just sort of featuring one per episode as we go. That's the plan, and we're joined by nutrition expert and metabolism expert Angelo Poli from MetPro. He's a super knowledgeable guy and a, and a great teacher, so it's awesome to have him on the podcast to tackle some questions sent in from listeners This one comes from Steven, and it's about anabolic diets and the difference between nutrition needs for weightlifters versus runners. And Angela will also talk about the principle of contrast, which is really important for the body's metabolism. So let's go ahead and jump into that right now. Okay, we're on the podcast with Angelo Poli, co-founder at MetPro, a metabolism genius, as I like to call him. How you doing, Angelo? Hey, Trevor. Thank you guys for having me. We've got a lot of great questions sent in from listeners about nutrition and the metabolism, weight loss, all kinds of stuff. I'm going to let Angie ask the first one here. This question comes from Steven. He asks, I've been hearing a lot about this diet called the anabolic diet. Have you heard of it? Bodybuilders seem to use it because the diet is based on low-calorie, dense foods that fill your stomach while keeping you in a calorie deficit. So it's mostly good, healthy food, but has a low emphasis on fat. And they find a lot of low-calorie replacements for traditional foods. My question is this. Could this type of diet be useful to long-distance runners, especially those who are trying to lean up a bit for faster times? And then he kind of goes on to ask, can you talk about the differences between what happens to a runner's metabolism and a weightlifter's metabolism? Okay, that's a great question. So spoiler alert, the answer to every question is depends. (laughs) (laughs) That's the answer to every question when it starts with should I do this or that with my nutrition? It depends. You know, there's a lot of different strategies. The anabolic diet is one that's very bodybuilder focused. And um, it's based off of sound principles that I, I think when when he was referring to calorie dense foods, I think perhaps what he meant was volume de- or water dense, but filling foods that are low in calories, because that's what your bodybuilding diets typically revolve around. So foods that have a high water content or that are just generally lower in whatever macronutrient they're dominant in, protein, carbs, or fats, uh, but are more satiating are almost always go-tos. You hear bodybuilders eating brown rice, oatmeal, sweet potato. You hear them eating chicken, broccoli, asparagus. Some that prefer plant-based will do tofu or they'll do, uh, you know, and of course, nuts and seeds. So the foods themselves are great. 
Uh, and there's nothing wrong with applying one of the principles that's going to trigger weight loss, which is contrast. And with most programs like that, you're going to have days where you eat more carbs and days where you eat less carbs. Typically, that is a little rougher on endurance athletes because there's no way to, to cheat it. So I like powerlifting and I can just go in on the weekends and I can be a, you know, cut corners and be a power lifter and just train a few hours a week, you know, just for recreation purposes. If you're an endurance athlete, there's no cheating it. You have to put in the hours, <laughs> which means you're probably going to need more consistent fuel Monday through Friday and the weekends. In fact, some days maybe a little more if you're doing long runs, but that extreme variation that sometimes is a hallmark of kind of a bodybuilding prep meal plan usually isn't our first go-to. That said, there's nothing wrong with cutting calories. There's nothing wrong with having lower carb days, but you want to do it through the lens of I'm a runner and I need to fuel for my running. So I would do it gradually. Um, what our coaches do is they evaluate, okay, what are your long running days? What are your short running days? And sometimes what they'll do is they'll have you scale back a little bit on whatever macronutrient you need the least that day. And the question is, when do you cut? So you don't want to ramp up and say, oh, well, my race is almost here. If I could just be two pounds lighter, it's not worth it. You're not going to improve your time. So go in two pounds heavier fueled. Then well before your next race, that's when you want to time your cutting cycle to where when you're a little bit lower on your training volume, we get your weight down, whatever it is, five pounds, 10 pounds or more, and then ramp up your fuel as you're going into your heavy training season and then your event. Yeah, I've experienced that working with um, Coach Natalie, who I've been working with for a couple of years. And right now we're in a down adjust phase. So a little bit lower on some of the macronutrients because I'm not doing heavy mileage right now. And then we're planning to up adjust as I get closer to my goal races for this fall so that I can go in feeling strong and well-fueled. So it works really well. See? <laughs> That's fantastic. And just so a, a little nerdy kind of sciencey stuff, peek behind the curtain. So what our coaches are looking for is we're looking at the scientific tools. Okay, so what are the primary tools? If somebody says, I, I want to perform better, but I also want to be lighter. We know that in some way, shape or form, we're going to have to introduce calorie restriction or manipulation, carbohydrate restriction or manipulation, Look at meal frequency, carb timing, glycemic load, and then there's two other things that we can look at. We can look at micro-periodization and macro-periodization. Now, at, at MetPro, we use them all, just depending on the circumstance. The difference between micro and macro-periodization is really its efficacy from a behavioral standpoint. So micro-periodization would be on, a, on either like a 24-hour cycle or a weekly cycle. I'll have higher or lower intake phases. Macro-periodization we refer to as, okay, on a month, two, or three-month cycle, I have periods of higher intake or lower intake. Both approaches can work, but we find that more often than not, adherence to micro-periodization is a lot tougher for people, consistency, because it's hard enough. People say, oh, I got to prep my meals. I got to follow this meal plan. I have a strategy. 
to then have it change for these days of the week. And then you have a whole new meal plan that you have to prep for for those days of the week. We find that it's a little tougher to do. I do have some of my clients implement that at times, but usually that's just for a short period of time where possible. I've been on a two, maybe three year up adjust cycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, somehow it's working for you, Trevor. Keep going. <laughs> All right, good stuff. All right, well, big thanks to Angelo for joining us for some nutrition Q&A. And the goal is to feature one question per episode for a little while here. So you can be looking forward to that. Thanks to Steven for sending that question. Hope it makes sense. Angie, he was talking about contrast. That's kind of the uh, the big idea, I guess, behind MetPro is contrast and up adjusting and down adjusting, right? Well, like he said in the answer, they use a variety of levers to help stimulate a person's metabolism to be able to achieve whatever their goals are as far as, you know, whether it's improving their nutrition for their fitness activity. So yeah, there's, there's just a lot of different tools that they use really, really well. And contrast is one of them. I mentioned that I've been on a down adjust phase lately, um, because I'm not really into the higher mileage of training for my fall half marathon and marathon. And it's wonderful to be able to work with a coach so that we can dial it in and I'm not feeling hungry, but I feel like I have enough energy for workouts. And then also have that plan like that we are going to up adjust my macros as we get closer to race day. And we'd encourage you to check out MetPro if you think that it might be a good fit for you. You can go to metpro.co forward slash MTA. You can get set up for a free consultation. And if you're interested in hearing more about my experience with MetPro, we've got that over on our blog. You can check it out. I can't say enough good about how it has helped me get my body composition back to where I want it to be and improve my running performance. Once again, that's metpro.co forward slash MTA. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. If there's any way we can help you in your running journey, reach out. We've got a contact form on our website. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Marathon Academy. Until next time, keep taking action and always remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my